feel the presence of the Lord in here this morning. I just, I just feel like the Lord just said to me, don't preach to him, just invite him. I just, this is different, but I just wonder if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know the presence of the Lord. There's nothing like him. Even religion can't fill you. I just feel like the Lord was speaking to people even during that last song. And you know, one of the primary things that we exist to do is help people know God. We're not about religion here. Matter of fact, I could care less about empty religion. I spent 17 years of my life in church, twice a week, every week, because I had to. And if you asked me, I would have told you I was a Christian, but I wasn't actually following Jesus, nor was I experiencing the fullness of life. In fact, I believe that a lukewarm believer is a more miserable person than anybody else. Because I've been there. Because you can't fully enjoy the things of the world, and you can't fully enjoy the presence of the Lord. You know, Stephen, I don't know, Stephen, you didn't quote that psalm this morning in first gathering, but you know that Psalm 16? I read that this morning because it's February 16th. Did you know that? In his presence is the fullness of joy. There are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. I want to ask you this morning before I preach, do you really know him? Have you surrendered your life to him? I'm not saying like a little ABC prayer and a little checkbox on checkbox in you know Facebook. I'm a but like, is he the Lord and Savior of your life? Are you all in? Have you died to yourself? God is not asking of us to just be religious or churchy people. He's asking us to die to self to live for him. And so I'm going to ask, and I felt like the Lord asked me to do this this week, and we've done this both of the other two gatherings, and and people have responded each time, but I'm going to preface it by saying this. It is by grace that we are saved through faith, not by works so that none of us can boast. None of us is any better than anybody else. And by the way, you can have salvation and redemption between you and God, just in your heart, between you and him. But I felt like he asked me to see if there is anybody here that, not for anybody else, but just for them, that they needed something more. You know, when the Israelites went into the promised land, finally, when they started obeying God, they went back into the river and they picked up stones and they, they brought them out and they set them on the side of the river so that generation after generation could look back on those monuments and remember what the Lord did in that time. And so I want to ask you, if you have never truly surrendered your life to Jesus and said, I want you to be my Savior and my Lord, or maybe... You would say I'm a Christian, but you know in your heart, 
you are not actually following him. Or maybe you're here and as we're singing this last song and the Holy Spirit is falling in this room, you know that you can't actually sing those lyrics and mean it. The Lord brought you here for a reason today. And so I know that this is bold, but I think that for somebody, this needs to happen for you. As a stake in the ground, and so I want to ask right now, is there anybody in the room that would say, the Holy Spirit is drawing me right now. I don't need you to preach a sermon to me. I need to give my life to Jesus right now. I want to invite you to stand up as a standing stone and a pillar in your life to say, this is my day. Thank you so much. It's the best decision that you could ever make. Stay standing for a moment. We celebrate with you. This is what it's all about. The Bible tells us that anyone who's in Christ is a brand new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, he makes all things new. And so this is not just a re religious thing that you're doing right now. God is literally going to come and fill your life and rewrite your DNA. Everything's going to be different from this moment. I want to pray with you guys, and just so you know you're not alone, the Bible says confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, and you will be saved. And so I want to say a prayer with you, and I want the whole church to pray this along, along with you because we're with you. This, this is a family thing. We're with you, sister. This is a family thing. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, today we recognize you as Savior and Lord, Lord of my life. I invite you in. Please forgive me of my sins and fill me with your spirit. Whatever you want, whenever you want it, however you want it, I'm all in. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You put your hands together for these. I'm going to figure out how to preach somehow. Here at Heart of the City Church, we're a people after God's own heart. That's not just a slogan or a cliche. That's, that's for real. We want to be after God. Because he's real. If he's real, it should change everything. And because he's real, because he's worthy, because his reality inside of us, the only reasonable response is that it does something outside of us, we have a mission because he has a reality on the inside of us, we have a mission on the outside of us. Because I have a relationship with the living God of the universe, I can't help but know and just desire to help other people know God in that same way, like these four that just stood up. When I finally realized who God was, I said, how could I do anything else but help people know God? And so that's our, that's our, that's our vision. You know, we have all kinds of companies. I bet, you, I bet you know 50 slogans for companies out there. What's Nike's slogan? Yeah, you know it has nothing to do with your life. 
It doesn't change anything about your world. And it actually doesn't say anything about the company. You ever notice that? Their little slogan says nothing about who they are and what they do. And I typically don't really care for slogans and mottos and all of those things, but there's something that we've come up with as a family that I actually love because I believe it. We are a people after God's own heart. What does that mean? It means that we exist to help people know God, find freedom, like real freedom, like a freedom that the world cannot give you, no matter how many books you read, no matter how many substances you drink, no matter, no matter how much money you have, real freedom that can only come from the spirit of the living God and the family of God. We exist to help people discover purpose because a miserable person is somebody that doesn't know why they exist. And when we find those things, the only response is that we use those things to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. And so this is not just a cliche saying. This is who we are as a church and what we believe. And I'm not really here to preach it to you. It's an invitation that you would embrace it yourself and join us. That's why we're going to preach through this twice a year because this is who we want to be. And the truth is this, there are too many people in this world, myself included, that live incongruent with what they believe. We have all these beliefs, but so often they don't, they don't match up with our actions and it's causing toil on the inside. And we decided we want to be people that what, what we say we believe we want to do. And that's why we're going to give an invitation every single weekend for somebody to, to say yes to knowing God. Yes. That's why our whole staff said this year, every single one of us is going to join a city group because we actually believe in freedom and finding freedom in the midst of community. And so we're doing it. We're going to stop talking about it. We're going to put our action where our words are. We believe in standing with people and helping them discover their divine design. We believe in serving humanity together. Because God's called us to make a difference. And so today we're talking about finding freedom. I want to read a couple passages for you. John 10, 10, you've probably heard this before. It says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. This is Jesus speaking in the midst of uh, this, this gospel, the gospel of John, where you see a whole lot about Jesus' life and about what he did and in seven different places, he uses these statements. We call them the I am statements. He talks about, this is who I am. And he's typically, they're analogous comparisons where he's comparing himself to something else. Like, I am the bread of life. In other words, come and feed on me because I'm the only real thing that can feed your soul. And he, he goes, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the light of the world. In this passage, he says, I'm the good shepherd. You are my sheep and I want you to know my voice. He says, the thief. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy you. But I've come to bring you life and life abundantly. I want to read it in the Passion Translation. It says, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. One more passage. 1 Corinthians 3.17 says, now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. About an hour after this mom dropped her teenage boy off at the movie theater, she got that call that you never want to get. Your son's in the ER. Symptoms presenting as hyperventilation, sweating, shortness of breath, and 
heightened blood pressure. The teenager's self-diagnosis was, I'm having an allergic reaction to my breath spray. Y'all remember Banaka? Where'd Banaka go? Used a lot of Banaka in middle school for no particular reason. Thought he was having an allergic reaction. After the doctor did some diagnostic, te diagnostic tests, he determined you're not having an allergic reaction to the chemical, you're just freaked out because of your impending first kiss. <laughs> True story. True story, there's a woman that took six pregnancy tests and was convinced she was pregnant even though all of them said negative. So she went into the doctor, took another one. Negative, thank you. And the doctor said, you're not pregnant, and asked some more questions and realized that she had been eating chicken wings and only chicken wings for three weeks. He said, you're not pregnant, but that is definitely a food baby. <laughs> Sometimes unless you know the right symptoms, you're not gonna come up with the right diagnosis, right? You have to know what it is that you have and what it is that you don't have. You know what WebMD is, right? Uh, WebMD has this thing called Symptom Checker. Raise your hand if you've ever used Symptom Checker. Oh, more of, okay, y'all use Google, I know it. My wife is a practitioner and she's like, everybody knows what they have before they even come in these days. So symptom checker is this thing where you go on WebMD and you're like typing in all the things that you have and then it does its little thing and spits out your possible diagnoses. Now the problem with WebMD is that every single set of symptoms, you either ate like the wrong dinner the night before or you're gonna die in about five minutes and you don't know which one it is. It's like, right? And so, I felt like the Lord just invited me this weekend to just be a symptom checker. Wow. Like, I, like symptom checkers, not a person, not going to judge you. They don't, it doesn't care what you've done. It's just put in the symptoms, out comes the, the diagnosis, which is the reading of the reality, right? And so, I, I just want to ask you to consider between you and the Holy Spirit, if the diagnosis is the abundant and full life and true freedom, do you have it? If you input the symptoms of your world into the spiritual WebMD, would the possible diagnosis that pops out be you are living an abundant and free life? If you were to type in how I spend my free time, how I spend my money, where do my possessions go, how is my purity, what do I think about when nobody's looking, what am I doing when nobody's looking, how do I treat my spouse and my kids, What's really going on in my heart when I paint on that smile that I know I'm supposed to put on, but on the inside I want to kill you? <laughs> What's going on the inside? What am I using to numb the pain or the bitterness or the anger or the issues yes. in my world? 
you know, the truth is that many of Sometimes we talk a lot about drugs and alcohol, and those are just brands. We all have our own brand. And we like to highlight a couple of the you know, super hot looking sexy sins, but the truth is that all of us have stuff going on on the inside, and usually what we see on the outside is just a symptom of something deeper. That's actually what sin typically is. The sin that we see in ourselves and people is a symptom of something going on on the inside. And the problem is when we, when we try to just amend the symptom and fix the symptom and, and work the symptom, we're never addressing the real issue. So if I, have a cold, if I have a cold and I have a runny nose and a sore throat, first of all, the runny nose and the sore throat is not the sickness. The sickness is on the inside and those are symptoms. And then when I take NyQuil or DayQuil, that's just a, that's just a covering agent until the issue can actually be healed. It's not healing the actual issue. It's just, it's just numbing it for a little bit. And so I'm here to talk about freedom today. Uh, you know, what, what really is freedom? The crazy thing is, if you look up in the dictionary, the definition of freedom, what you would read is, is probably going to say something like this. Uh, moral agency, where somebody is autonomous to make their own decisions unimpeded by outside influences. And the truth is that the cultural definition of freedom is even worse than that. We live in an era pro- probably unlike any other. And you're starting to feel it even more these last few years. The culture is changing. The culture is trying to convince us that in order to truly be free, you need to have the right to decide what you want to do, when you want to do it, however you want to do it, even down to defining your own existence and identity. And if anybody else tries to say anything about you or your actions, they are impeding on your true freedom. And I'm just here to tell you today, that is absolutely false. Freedom is not us deciding what and who we are and doing whatever it is that our flesh desires, that's not freedom, that's bondage. True freedom is the the empowered ability to say yes to the right things and no to the right things. True freedom is saying yes to the creator's definition of who we are and walking in his destiny and identity for us. That's what freedom is. Actually, I would submit to you that there is no greater freedom than slavery to Jesus Christ. It's the reason why Paul goes out of his way to call himself a slave to Christ. Because when we are Lord of our own world, we're slave to our flesh. But when we die to self and say yes to him, we can experience true freedom. Why? Because he gives us his spirit. His Holy Spirit. Here's the thing, though, that the Bible teaches us clearly. Is that even though the primary thing that we need to experience true freedom is His Spirit inside of us. It is not mutually exclusive from His bride around us. That is to say that the Bible teaches us that this is not a DIY faith. You cannot actually do this thing yourself. Over 90 times in the New Testament, the, this, this one Greek, well, gonna, the Greek word is alelone, 
And it means to, for, or with one another. Over 90 times this, this word shows up in the New, New Testament, and 47 of those times are direct commandments to you and I, direct commandments of things that you and I are to do to, for, or with one another. And there's many, many things that we probably would do in order to say, I, the diagnosis of my life is following Jesus. I, I read my Bible, I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping God, I'm in church, I'm, I'm serving, and all of those things, but today, I want to address the symptoms of, of our lives in are we alelo, doing life to, with, and for one another. Let me just give you a few examples. Serve one another. First Peter 4, each of you has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Carry one another's burdens, Galatians 6. Brothers, if any of you is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Confess your sins to and pray for one another, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, we can receive forgiveness by confessing to God, but oftentimes it's healing that comes in confessing to one another. Yeah. You don't have to confess to another person in order to be forgiven. But I'm sure that many of you know, like I know from experience, that I can confess something to God a thousand times, know that I'm forgiven, but have it still be a weight on my shoulders when it's in the dark. And when I finally get the courage to, to speak it out to another human being, there's a freedom that comes. Because any sin that's hidden has power and any sin that's brought to light. And it's not just sin. It might be, it might be other issues. It might be some, something that somebody else has done to me or maybe just, just a hardship in my world that I'm keeping on the inside. And there's something powerful to speaking it out to a brother or sister that can be trusted. One another. Meet with one another and encourage one another. Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Teach, train, and exhort one another. Romans 15, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. You are able to instruct one another. I think sometimes we send the message, people like me have sent the message that it's only the trained preachers and the theologians and those with degrees that are able to do any. We can teach each other. If you have the spirit of the living God in you, you are equipped to encourage and exhort and teach and train one another. My job is to equip all of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. If you don't know what to say, just speak the, the scriptures over one another. Yes. Do you one another? You know, we have this, this uh, vision slide that says one of the things that we do exist to do is to find freedom. And because we wanted to put more practical action towards that, we defined it. 
The primary way that we believe that we can find freedom is in the midst of community. I actually believe that. I actually really believe that in order to live the fullness of life that Jesus is talking about, it requires community. That's not just a, a saying or a cliche just to build up some little small group ministry in the church. It's something that we actually believe. In fact, we only have the small group ministry in the church because we believe this, not the other way around. Like, we actually believe that we are going to find freedom in the abundant life, first through the spirit inside of us, but also through the people around us because God designed us to need one another. And that's why we designed our small groups, to help us find that freedom together. I felt like the Lord was asking me this week, I didn't mention this either, there are two gatherings, but I just, I'm a preacher and it's like one of my primary calls in life is preaching, but sometimes I, I, I just have these thoughts about preaching and like I get really convicted even like when somebody else is preaching and I'm listening and, and I have to ask myself sometimes, what is it going to take for the, the truth of the word of God to enter to my ears, become faith and actually produce fruit in my life? Like, how good does a preacher have to be to convince me to actually change, to, to get in line with the Word of God? And I felt like the Lord was asking me this week, like, like, how much teaching do I need to teach you in order to convince you that this is worth it? You know, like, how good does this sermon have to be in order to actually bring a change in your life? How dynamic of a speaker do I need to be in order to bring change in your life? I'm actually really sorry for, for people that don't experience the fullness of the kingdom. My heart hurts. My heart hurt, hurts most of all for people that have an existence and what they think is that they've taken in the fullness of the kingdom and they're left unsatisfied with it. And so they find themselves in this position where, where they think that the kingdom of God is lacking and not that great. But what they're really doing is they're judging their own experience and they're putting it on the reality of the kingdom. Let me put it like this. Like, if I said to you, hey, let's go get some really good Mexican food and you said, I don't like Mexican food. And I said, what? That's from the devil. Like, obviously God made Mexican food. And you said, well, I've been having Mexican food my whole life. Every Saturday after church, mom went to the gas station and got me that little frozen burrito from the gas station and we put it in the microwave and heated it up for a minute where the outside was crusty and the inside was frozen. I've been eating Mexican food every Sunday of my whole life. You know what I would say to you? The problem is not with Mexican food. The problem is with your experience of a sorry excuse for Mexican food. Right? And what I find is that when people are dissatisfied with the fullness of the life of Christ and the kingdom of God, it's not because they've actually drunken deep of all that he has to offer. It's that they've been tasting some sorry excuse and what's growing inside of them is a nasty food baby, not real life. Because the kingdom of God satisfies. Taste and see that the Lord is good because he is good. And if you really eat and drink of the fullness of his kingdom, it is good. And so what I would submit to you is if your experience is something less 
than a, the abundant life and freedom. It's not his kingdom and his ways and his truth and his love that is lacking. It's just maybe that you haven't stepped into the fullness thereof yes. yet. Yes. And so I don't know of all of the different criteria. It's not about the works. In fact, reading our Bible and praying and worshiping, those in and of themselves are actually just symptoms of relationship. Those are not like actions that we do in order to get to God and like wring our way and work our way to God. Those are just, those are just symptoms of relationship in our heart. Like when I fell in love with Jesus and, and, and inherited relationship with him, I had a desire to read the Bible and I never had that desire before. I had a desire to give my money away. I actually wanted to do it. I didn't just show, oh, now, now I should do that because I'm a Christian, I have to. I wanted to. If that's not a symptom in your life, then I think you need to check, the, like, check what's going on. What, where, what's, what's going on wrong? Like, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. By the way, those of you that stood up and you said yes to Jesus today, your life's not going to be perfect. None of our lives are perfect. We all experience pain. We all experience anxiety and struggle and ups and downs and death. And the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But the Spirit of God brings a peace that transcends our understanding. And of all the different things that we should do and, and hopefully would want to do, today I'm really talking about community. And so I just would say, if, if you type in all of your symptoms and you're not receiving the, the overwhelming message that you're experiencing freedom, or at least the path towards freedom, the path towards a fuller life, a more vibrant life, I would ask you today, are you in community, real community? The last thing I felt like the Lord said is just, just, just put away the teaching for a minute. Just let the testimony. I wish I could sit here and tell you all the testimonies of people that have found freedom in the midst of groups. I wish I could tell you the story of my friend named Bryant who shared his testimony at man camp this year, a story that I can't even, I can't even fathom what's gone on in his world. And, and Bryant told me this week that as he considered getting involved in a small group, he really didn't want to. But he thought, you know what, I really should try it out even though I, I can't stand just the niceties and the you know, guys talking about work and this and that and surface level conversation. But he decided to go to the Wednesday morning men's group. And he said, what I found from the first day is that that community embraced me, didn't judge me. We got deep and we got real. And he said, quote, I cannot imagine a week in my life where I didn't have my Wednesday morning man time. I wish I could tell you about the people that have gone through, through brush fires, the next step of discovering purpose. And Samantha sent me a testimony this week about how she finally, through that small group, understood not only her design, but that everybody else around her was designed by God in a different way. And when she understands their design, she doesn't have to judge and hate how they are, but we can all acknowledge that we can get along in different ways. And this is her story about what she learned in her small group. I wish I could introduce to you Doug, who's been coming to Foundations here every Tuesday night. He told me this week, I called him and I said, tell me your story a little bit. He got married. Is Doug in the house? He told me that he, are you Doug? Hey, Doug. You got married a week ago. Where's your bride? Is your bride? Congratulations. Doug told me that he had a supernatural encounter with God in his car. 
He just felt the Holy Spirit rushing all over him and, and filling him and washing away his past. And even though he had this, this out-of-body experience, like this, this amazing supernatural moment with the Lord, there was still something that he knew that he needed in the midst of community. And so they've been driving probably almost every, maybe not every Tuesday, but they've been driving an hour and 15 minutes to come to Foundation Small Group here every Tuesday at 7. Why? Because it's in the midst of community that they're finding a different type of freedom. I could tell you about the, my own small groups that I've been involved in. This semester, my wife and I, we decided we're going to invite all people that we've never done group with before. And so we, we prayed through it. And by the way, that's just a good strategy. Hey, God, who could I hang out with and talk, you know, talk to about, with about you? The thing is, we all like to do community and be with people, at least most of us, at least we should. They're all, we all have things that we do. Why not just gather around those things and do them with people and, and encourage one another and bring up the scripture and prayer and encourage one another towards next steps? So this semester, we, we decided we wanted to invite some people that we never had done group with before, and we invited some people in, and God really began to knit this community together. This one night we decided to do a hot seat. It's where like somebody sits in a seat and it's all about them. Not too special until it becomes special. You don't need a degree. You don't need a curriculum. Just availability in a seat. And this couple that's an amazing couple, and if you looked at their life from the outside on a Sunday morning, you'd think, they've got it all going on. And they do have a lot going on. But they began to talk about how there was this issue that was never been addressed in the family. There was evidence that one of the parents had been abusive, even sexually, to children along the way. And something that you would never hear about on a Sunday morning, they began to talk about in our living room. We don't know what to do now because we have kids. How do we interact? How do we set boundaries? How do we deal with this? And our small group ends at 8 o'clock. And I try and uh, respect that time. And so I noticed that this other couple was getting a little fidgety. And I thought, oh, man, yeah, they probably are, like, needing to go. And so I, the moment was right. I turned and I said, hey, if you guys got to go, like, you can go. Um, we'll finish, you know, we'll pray here, and we'll finish up, and, and I thought they wanted to leave, and they were like, no. And this gal in our small group said, I've never told anybody but my husband this, but I was abused by my own dad. And I, I don't know if you can feel it, but I just can't describe for you what took place in that living room in that moment. It's like this confession brought about the freedom to, to, to give this confession. And then this confession actually encouraged this couple. And since then, we've heard reports that they've actually, they had a conversation and they've, they've set boundaries and there's been fruit that has come from that. And I just can't describe for you how things like that don't happen in a room like this on the weekend. It just doesn't. When you're going through it in your marriage, you're not going to talk about it with the person next to you in 30 seconds of greeting time. Does it mean that there's not value to this? No. 
There is so much value to us coming together in unity. Number, just that reason alone, by the way, in a divided uh, one nation under God, I don't think so, but there is one nation under God and it's called the church and we need to be unified and so that reason alone is reason for us to get together. But worshiping God corporately and hearing the word preached because it's important for us to hear the word of God preached, this is important. But that's also important. And so it's my hope, it's our hope, that for every chair in this room and every seat that's filled over the weekend, that there will also be a couch somewhere in somebody's living room. Or a seat in a coffee shop or a restaurant. It's my hope that 100% of the people that come and attend Heart of the City Church on a weekend would also be involved in relational community sometime in their life, doing things to, for, and with one another because that's the way that God designed us. And there's certain freedom that can come in this setting and there's certain freedom that can only come through the Holy Spirit filling our life but there's certain freedom that can only come through doing life with other people. And so I want to invite you into it. There's room for everybody. And that's who we want to be as a church. That's who we want to be as a family moving forward.